He's never too late. He always is right on time. And it's not too late for you. You know, maybe you feel like you failed him. Maybe you feel like you'll never get it together. I want you to know it's not too late for you to become the man or woman that God's called you to be. It's not too late. As long as you have a heartbeat, God still has a purpose for your life. And God can take all those years that have been wasted, and he can turn everything into a purpose. It's amazing to me how whatever chapters that are in your life that may be messy chapters, failure chapters, sinful chapters, wasted chapters, God can take one paragraph and change it all, and it becomes part of your purpose for him and you start coming alive for him. It's never too late for you. God has a purpose, God has a plan, and God's not late. He's gonna come through right now, right here. He knows where you are. You're in a divine appointment right now. God made this appointment with you before he created the foundations of the earth, and he knew that you would be here right now at the Woodlands campus or Atascacita campus or connected online, wherever you are in the world, God knew that you would be there and he planned it before you were born and he planned that he would meet you right there in a divine appointment. You're in a divine appointment today. And God loves you and he's got something good for you. So let's pray. Dear God, we come to you and we just surrender to you to do what you want in our lives. Lord, you're the only one that can really meet our deepest needs. But so many times I I look to everything else or everyone else to meet those needs and you're the only one that can meet our deepest needs of purpose and meaning and fulfillment and joy. And I thank you, Lord, that you also provide for us. You know what we need. You're the only one that can heal. You're the only one that can save. And it's never too late for you. So Lord, I pray that you would just fulfill what you've come to fulfill in the divine appointment that you placed us in today. And we thank you that you're right there to meet with us and to bring a miracle. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Now I have up here a pot of chocolate fondue and I'm telling you, look at that. That looks good, doesn't it? Yeah, mmm, mmm, mmm. It's so good, I'm gonna double dip because you're not getting any. Mm-hmm. Marshmallow and chocolate fondue. I'm just gonna let it drop in there like my grandkids do. You know, it's like it becomes some kind of soup, you know, after a while. It's, this is pound cake, and every bite adds a pound to your weight. But it's worth it, because I could eat all of this pound cake right here. It was so good, and of course, strawberries. Mmm. I mean, everything tastes good in chocolate fondue. Really, the best thing to do is just take a spoon, a big spoon, and dip it in there. I mean, because it can't be bad when it comes to milk chocolate. We just mixed the ingredients together backstage and heated it up, and here are the ingredients. Heavy whipping cream, butter, vanilla, and semi-sweet chocolate chips. How can you go wrong with that? It may not be good for you, but it's sweet goodness. Of course, we all know what chocolate tastes like. 
But I want you to try to imagine with me, I know it's gonna be hard, but just try to imagine that you'd never tasted milk chocolate in your life. You'd never even heard of chocolate before. And then I ask you to take a bite of this strawberry after it's been dipped in this chocolate. And if you had never tasted chocolate before, you didn't even know what it was, you might think, well, I like strawberries, but I've never tasted that stuff before. If I dip that strawberry in that, it just might ruin the strawberry. You might think, I don't know what chocolate is, uh, but I know what mud is, and it looks just like mud to me, and I don't wanna dip that strawberry in mud. Worse yet, it also looks a lot like the contents of a dirty diaper, and I certainly don't wanna dip my strawberry in that. Now, I know that all sounds ridiculous because we've all tasted the sweetness of milk chocolate, whether it's your favorite or not, but if you never had, the only way you could really know it was sweet and delicious is to taste it. You'd have to taste and see, and that's the name of our new series that we're kicking off today. Our summer series is Taste and See. We're gonna have a lot of fun because we're gonna have a lot of tasty things you know, around this campus. They may not be healthy, but they will be tasty. And it's based on Psalm 34, eight. And would you stand in honor of God's word? It's a short verse today, but I love this verse. It's tasty, Psalm 34, eight. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. You can be seated. When it comes to God's goodness and blessing, he invites us to taste and see. God wants us to taste and see so we can experience his sweet blessings in our lives. If we don't taste, we won't see. God doesn't want us to just know about him. He wants us to experience him and his blessings in our lives. It's the same as if you'd never experienced chocolate before. You'd have to taste to see. You'd have to risk tasting it or you'd never experience the sweet goodness of chocolate. But to risk tasting something that looks to you like mud, you'd have to trust me when I told you it's good. You'll taste and see if you trust me. And once you taste it, you'll find that I'm trustworthy. And that's the way it is with God. It's a taste test. Really, it's a trust test. We have to trust him and step out and obey him even when we don't understand it, even if the next step looks like we're stepping into muddy waters, even if everything looks a little murky and unclear because when we obey God and we step into the unknown, even if we can't see it, we then see he's trustworthy. And God so wants us to taste and see so we can experience this blessing that is so much sweeter than temporary highs and strong enough to get us through the lowest lows. God wants us to taste so we can learn to trust that he knows what's best for us. When our son Stephen was about eight years old, he had this hamster that he loved, and that hamster loved him. I mean, it was, like a, it was like a pet dog. It would sit on his shoulder and watch television with him, cartoons. I mean, it was amazing. He baptized it once because he wanted to make sure he'd be in heaven with him and almost, almost sent him to heaven right away. But he called him Hammy, and one day his hamster got out of his cage, and we looked everywhere and couldn't find it. And Well, Stephen, of course, was upset, but Chris said, Honey, don't worry, he'll come back. And I thought, really? It's not that he might come back, he'll probably come back. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think he'll come back. No, it was, he'll come back. And I thought, I don't know if you should tell him that. 
Well, the hamster didn't come back. It was seven days, and we hadn't seen that hamster. And at bedtime on that seventh night, as Chris was tucking him in bed, he said, I'm really worried about Hammy. I'm going to pray that God brings him back tonight. So he said this sweet little prayer for God to bring his hamster back that very night. And Chris came downstairs, and she told me about it. And I said, oh, no. I mean, what's going to happen when Hammy doesn't come back? I mean, Hammy's probably running on that great wheel in the sky right now. I mean, I'm pretty sure we're never going to see Hammy again. We may start smelling him pretty soon, but we're never going to see him again. But within 15 minutes, Stephen heard a rattle in his cage, and his hamster was back getting a drink of water. He closed the cage. He ran downstairs, and he said, Hammy's back. It was no big deal to him. Then he just ran back upstairs. I couldn't believe it. Wow, God, you're real. It's amazing. You know, he had this childlike faith. And I knew God answered his prayer because he wanted Stephen to know, even at that early age, that he cares about every detail of our lives. He cares about everything that we care about. He wants us to pray about everything. Now, I know he doesn't always answer that way but he wants us to learn to taste and see because so many times we can't see what he's up to, but he's working behind the scenes and he always knows what's best for us. Sometimes we taste and we see that God is holding us up, but we don't know what he's up to, but we can always trust him. Because the more you taste and see, the more you experience his blessings in your life, you see little things, you see big things. You you see miracles, the little ones each and every day, and then big ones that happen that can only be explained by God. Well, today we're gonna look at a man in the Old Testament who, like us, struggled to trust God. So God had to take him through a taste test so he could finally experience a miracle, the miracle God wanted to give him. So let's look at 2 Kings chapter five. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captives a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Arbana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Now Naaman was this mighty commander of the army of Aram. 
And Aram is modern day Syria. It was the greatest nation on the face of the earth at the time. And this guy was over the whole army and the king just trusted Naaman completely. He was a man of great valor, a man of great courage, a man of integrity who'd won great battles for his country. And Naaman was famous. Everyone in Aram knew who he was. Everyone in the surrounding countries knew who he was and feared him. The Bible says he was a great man in the eyes of the king. But the Bible says something else about Naaman. It says he had leprosy. And leprosy was the most dreaded disease of that day. Leprosy was always a death sentence, but not just a death sentence. It meant a slow, painful, horrific death where your body would actually rot while you were still alive. Fingers would fall off, toes would fall off, limbs would fall off. And in the scripture, leprosy was always an outward symbol of a disease on the inside. Now we don't experience leprosy around us today, but there is this soul disfiguring disease that's rotting away the inside of our lives. And everyone has it. It's the disease of sin and selfishness. And there's only one cure and that's a savior. The only cure for sin is a savior. Now Naaman on the outside was wealthy, well respected. He was a man of integrity. He did a lot of great things for his country. I'm sure that he was a good guy but he had this disfiguring disease that was rotting away his flesh. And you may be well-respected and wealthy, a man or woman of integrity. You may do a lot of great things in the community, but on the inside, you still have this soul-disfiguring disease of sin that we all have. And Naaman had built this wall of denial because he had everything going for him. But the leprosy not only ate away at his flesh, it also ate away at his denial, so much so that he became desperate. He was so desperate that he listened to a little servant girl. You see, there was a servant girl from Israel in his house, and, and she said, there's a prophet in Samaria who follows the Lord God, the one true God, the only God who can heal, and if you go to that prophet, I believe you're going to be healed. Now, Naaman was now desperate, so he listens to this servant girl. The leprosy had eaten through his flesh and eaten through his wall of denial because everyone who saw him no longer saw someone who had it all together. They no longer saw a great man. They just saw leprosy. Couldn't hide it anymore. And maybe the sin in your life has finally eaten through the wall of denial and you just can't hide it anymore. Maybe you just experienced a failure in a relationship that's brought you to your knees. Or maybe it's an addiction you can't break free from and Now everyone knows it because it's come out in all these destructive ways. Or maybe it's a failure in your business. You know, many times it's the taste of failure that God uses to wake us up to his good and sweet purpose for our lives. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how many good things you've done. We all suffer from the same soul-rotting disease of sin. And there's only one cure for it, and that's the Savior. Well, Naaman goes to God for healing. And I think that's really important to understand that he does the right thing and he goes to God. But let's look at it. It says, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now focus on that phrase, stopped at the door, because this is really telling about where Naaman was and what he was going, what was going on in his life at the time. It says he stopped at the door. So Naaman comes all this way from Syria. 
and he has this whole entourage with him. Chariots and horses and all this fanfare and he comes to the prophet's house and he stops at the door. I mean, it's like a giant parade. He has gold and silver and servants and he gets right to the door. He comes all that way, he gets right to the door and he stops at the door. And a lot of people get right to the door of salvation and they stop at the door. They never take the next step to humble themselves to receive the gift that they could never earn. To step across the threshold in faith and receive Christ's free forgiveness and grace. They come to the table, but they never taste and see. And they miss out on the sweet blessings of God's forgiveness and grace in heaven one day. Well, Naaman had come right to the door, but he stopped at the door. Why? Why did he stop at the door? Because he wanted God to meet him on his terms. He wanted the grace without the taste. He wanted to see, then believe. But God says, you believe, then you'll see. He would come to the door with all his entourage, but he wouldn't come further. You see, he was expecting that he would come to the door with all this fanfare and parade, and the prophet would go, what's happening out there? This is so exciting. Nothing exciting happens around here. This is amazing. And the prophet of God would go to the door and say, Naaman, I recognize you. I mean, you're famous. You're a war hero. You're one of the most powerful men on the face of the earth. What are you doing at my house? Well, I have leprosy and I need to be healed. Oh, I'm so honored you would come to my house. I'm not even worthy to have you walk into my door. Let me come out there because I'm so amazed that you're here. I'm so honored to be able to pray for you. And by the way, can I have your autograph? I'm going to sell it on eBay. I mean, it didn't happen that way. The way Naaman thought it was going to go, the way he thought it should go, it didn't happen that way. Elisha wasn't playing that game, and God doesn't play that game either. You can't get right to the door and expect God to meet you on your terms. If you want God to work in your life, he works the way he wants, not the way you want him to. It doesn't matter who you are. You may be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. You may have thousands of employees under you, or you may be a dishwasher making minimum wage. It doesn't matter. We're all in the same boat. The ground's level at the foot of the cross, and there's only one way to receive the sweet blessings of forgiveness, healing, and heaven one day, and that's to humble yourself to receive Christ's grace. A Band-Aid is not going to cure this soul-disfiguring disease of sin. A self-help book is not going to fix it. Only a Savior can. And you can't get right to the door and expect God to meet you on your terms. We all have to step across the threshold. We all need a Savior. We're all in the same boat. But God offers everyone the chance to step out in faith and taste his grace. You get to the table, but then you've got to taste Well, Naaman expected God to meet him on his terms. It was like, yeah, maybe for everyone else it works this way, but you know, I'm kind of different. I'm kind of special. I mean, I'm famous. I mean, don't you know who I am? I'm wealthy. And God wasn't having any of it because God doesn't do it that way. It doesn't matter who you are. We're all in the same boat and there's only one Savior. And God tells Elisha something I, I love. God tells Elisha to respond to Naaman in this way that I find really hilarious. Elisha, in verse 10, sent a messenger to say to him, 
Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. So Elisha doesn't even come to the door. He sends a no-name messenger to come out and meet Naaman. And so the messenger comes out, he opens the door and he says, I need to tell you that the prophet of God says that God told him to tell you that you should go to the Jordan River over here and dip seven times in it and you'll be totally cleansed and you'll be healed. Well, I guess that's it. And he walks off. And Naaman is like, what? I come all this way and the prophet doesn't even bother to come to the door? Doesn't he know who I am? Who does he think he is? You need to know if God is going to work in your life, he does it his way, when he wants, how he wants, because he knows what's best. But God knew just what to do to hit Naaman right where he needed it, to knock the pride out of his life. Look at Naaman's reaction in this next verse. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Naaman says, I come all this way and he treats me like this. And he is upset because he's expecting God to meet him on his terms. And Naaman says, I thought it would kind of go this way. Now focus on those two words, I thought. This is very telling too of where Naaman was. He said, I just thought God would do it this way. I just thought the prophet would come out and he would go, Oh, great Naaman, abracadabra, and then this great lightning bolt would strike, and I would be healed, and it would be so amazing. I'd go tell everyone the story of how God did this amazing thing for me because of who I am. But it doesn't happen that way. Naaman said, I just thought. I thought God should do the miracle the way I think he should but I have to come to the place of brokenness where I realize the way I thought it should go doesn't matter. It's what God thinks, what God says. Look at Isaiah 55, verse eight and nine. God says this to us today. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. God says, my thoughts are higher and greater than your thoughts. And my way is the only way that leads to blessing. Doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. All that matters is what God thinks and what God says. But so many times I've acted in pride like Naaman and said, God, I thought it would work best if you do it this way. I know what your word says, but I think I can do it a little bit different and it will work out. You'll make an exception for me, right? You know my heart is good. Is that okay, God? And God says, I don't care what you think you should do. If you wanna experience my blessings, you have to do what I say. No exceptions. You see, a lot of people wanna follow Christ, but they wanna follow Christ their way. You can't follow God unless you're, following God. You can't follow God and then do it your way because you're not following God, you're following yourself. And some people say, God, I'll follow this part of scripture, but I'm not really into that part. I'll follow this part of scripture, but I'm not gonna really do that part. I, I like this one, I don't really like that one. So that's okay with you, right? You're cool with that? 
but you can't follow Christ your way. You can't do the God thing your way. To follow God, you gotta follow God. You can't follow God sometimes and then follow yourself sometimes. You can't do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. To follow God, you have to surrender to his will and his way because he knows what's best. Well, Naaman wanted to do it his way. But God tells him, if you wanna experience healing and taste the sweet blessings that I have for you, you gotta go down to the Jordan River and dunk yourself in the river seven times. Now, when I think about this command, it reminds me of God's command that we be baptized. The scripture is real clear that everyone who receives Christ is commanded to be baptized, not to make yourself a Christian, but to show that you are one. And baptism is this beautiful picture that Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again, and he's alive in your life. And it's a symbol that he's already cleansed you and washed away all of this soul disfiguring disease of sin. It's also a step of obedience. Baptism is the first step of obedience after you come to Christ to show that you already have taken that step through the door of humility and said, Jesus, I trust you completely to cleanse me of this disease of sin, to take me to heaven one day. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I wanna follow you and do it your way. So why did God choose baptism? Why did he say go dip in water to show that you're a believer? Well, I don't know, but that's what he said. I see a lot of reasons for it, the symbolism of it, but I don't know the ultimate reason. He could have picked a lot of other things. He could have said, you go to the pastor and he'll perform this elaborate ceremony on you. And then you go climb up a mountain and you raise your arms up and say, I'm a believer. I don't know, but he chose this simple thing. And I've found that when God asks us to do something very simple that seems a little bit foolish, a little awkward or inconvenient, so many times we're like, I'll do something hard. I'll do something hard and heroic that makes me look good, but I don't really wanna do that one. I don't really wanna get my hair wet. I don't really wanna look a little awkward. And it's inconvenient for me. I'll do this, but I don't really want to do that. And that's okay, God? Well, look what Jesus said in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, but don't worry about baptizing them. No, he commanded every person who trusts him to follow him in baptism to show that you're a believer. It's your public profession of faith. And I have found that most of us want all the benefits of being a Christian. We just don't want any of the inconveniences. And baptism is your public profession of your faith. That's the intent and the purpose behind it. Because God says, I want you to do this be dipped in water, just some simple, inconvenient, little awkward thing. But this is what I've chosen, and I command you to do it because I've chosen this. It's where you publicly profess that you love Jesus and you want everyone to know. It's your coming out party. It's your public profession. That's why baptisms in the New Testament were public celebrations because you could be an undercover Christian in the New Testament if you weren't baptized. But once you were baptized in that public celebration, the religious leaders, the government officials, they would put you on the persecution list and you would be persecuted. You'd be imprisoned. You might be killed. 
once you're baptized. Did you know it's the same purpose today? Baptism is your public profession. So when we have it in a public celebration, like we do at Woodland Church, the big celebration, out at our baptism pool or out in our fountain, our prayer fountain out here, it's a public celebration and we celebrate. It's amazing. But it's saying, I want everyone to know that I love Jesus. I want everyone to know I'm not ashamed that I love Jesus. I want everyone to know that I have Christ in my life and I'm so glad of that. It's my public profession. I don't care what anyone thinks. It's the same purpose today. It's just in America, we don't get persecuted after we get baptized. But in much of the world today, if you get baptized, you get persecuted. In many, many places in the world today, it's against the law to be baptized. That's the big law in a lot of countries. You can't be baptized. Many Muslim countries, communist countries, did you know there are more Christians martyred today for their faith and being baptized to show they love Jesus than at any other time in history? So when you're being baptized, you're joining your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world who are willing to be persecuted for being baptized, and you're saying with them, I love Jesus, I'm not ashamed of him. I want everyone to know I'm a Christ follower, no matter the cost. But we wanna do the God thing our way. And you can't do the God thing your way. It's God's way or no way. God says, this is my command. Well, that's kinda weird, God, so you don't, wanna, you don't want me to do that one. God says, you gotta do it my way if you want the blessings. Obedience brings great blessings. God, I'll do this one, I'll do this one, but I don't really feel like doing this one. I mean, baptism seems a little foolish, a little awkward, it's inconvenient, it's really simple. Why is it a big deal? I don't really wanna do that one, God. Maybe one day. Why do we need to do that anyway? What's the big deal about that one? And God's going, obedience brings blessing. And I'm gonna throw something at you to see if you really trust me or if you're gonna depend on yourself because you can't do the God thing your way. That always ends badly and you miss out on God's sweet blessings. Now, fortunately for Naaman, he had some servant friends who really loved him and really cared about him and told him the truth. Now, he gets mad about it because he's told to dip in the Jordan River seven times. Now, you need to understand the Jordan River that we think of is this beautiful river is really a muddy little creek. When we think of the Jordan River now, we think of a very spiritual experience because Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. And we think of the Jordan River as this glorious place, this inspirational place, but it wasn't and it still isn't. It's just a muddy little river. And I have been to the Jordan River many times and I'm telling you, it's very disappointing. And I think that's probably why Jesus chose it. It's not this glorious river that you think has holy water. It's got muddy water. And I baptize people in the Jordan River, been baptized in the Jordan River. There are all these little fish that start nibbling at you. It's a scary faith-based experience. Because you don't know, was that a fish that's nibbling on me? They just start nibbling on you, you know? Is this a new therapy? What is this, you know? They're just, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But that's the Jordan River. And Naaman's going, why the Jordan River? I mean, that's a filthy little creek. And if I was going to be dunked in a river, then I might as well have stayed in Syria. Because there's some beautiful rivers in Damascus that are actually clear. I think it's dumb to dip in a muddy creek seven times or a river seven times. Who does that man think he is? Who does he think he is to tell me what I need to do? Something stupid like that. 
And in pride, Naaman stands up for his way rather than God's way. But here's the point of the whole story. Humility and healing go together. They go hand in hand. And God knew the only way for Naaman to get rid of that pride was for him to go into the river of humility. Take a little bit of embarrassment. The muddy river of humility leads to an ocean of healing. You can't get to the ocean of God's blessings without going through the muddy river of humility. And if you're willing to dip into the mud of humility, you'll find that it's not mud. It's really the sweet taste of God's blessings. You will be amazed at the blessings. Obedience brings blessing. You take one step of obedience and God takes you a thousand steps of head into his blessing. That's what God wants to do for each and every one of us. He wants us to taste his sweet blessings, but he says, you gotta taste and then you'll see. You've got to trust me and then you'll see that I'm trustworthy. But Naaman had a pride problem. He was willing to do some big thing that would make him look good, but he said, I'm not gonna do this little thing that will make me look silly. That's embarrassing. And many times it's easier for us to do something hard and heroic that makes us look good than it is to do something simple and inconvenient and awkward. I mean, you know, we can organize a half marathon that really helps charity and we tell everyone why we decided to do it and that's, oh, I'm a believer. But we're not willing to be baptized. God, I'll climb Mount Everest for you, but I don't really want to get baptized. Look at this next passage as we continue in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 513. It says that Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? Fortunately, Naaman had some servant friends who really loved him, and that shows me Naaman was really good to them. Uh, they loved him enough to tell him the truth. It would have been so easy for them to say, you're right, Naaman, that prophet is ridiculous. Who does he think he is? You're a great man, he's a nothing. Let's go back home. Syria is amazing, this place just stinks, let's go. And then Naaman would have gone home feeling justified, gone home to die. It would have been so easy for his servants to say that to him because then, you know, they weren't risking anything, but they loved him enough to tell him the truth. You see, they said, why not? What have you got to lose? Why not humble yourself and do what the prophet said? It's really simple. And just dip yourself seven times and be cleansed. Do this for your sake, Naaman. And you see, baptism is what God commands us to do. And you may not understand it, but God says, do it, and you'll experience the sweetness of my amazing blessings because obedience brings blessing. And next weekend is our super summer baptism. You know, it's my favorite thing that we do at Woodland Church all year because it symbolizes life change. It is Miracle Weekend at Woodland Church. And last year we had over a thousand people baptized in our super summer baptisms. And so I thought because next weekend is the big baptism and so many of you are gonna be baptized next weekend and so many of you have been baptized, I, I thought it'd be really good to just remind you of the miracle of what you went through and also to help all of you who are being baptized next weekend realize what it means and how powerful it is. But also some practical questions like, when should I be baptized? Well, the Bible says after you receive Christ and make a faith commitment to Christ, you're to be baptized to show that you're a Christian. 
And so I baptized a lot of families together, families of six and eight. I baptized a family of 15 once with cousins and aunts and uncles all in the baptistry pool at the same time. You know, and we baptized married couples together who were saying, I'm gonna stake our, we're gonna stake our marriage on Jesus. We baptized engaged couples that said, you know what? We wanna start now. We're gonna build our relationship and then our marriage on Jesus Christ. I baptized a lot of single adults who say, you know what, I don't care what anyone else does. I'm gonna follow Jesus. And so if your children are old enough to understand what it means to be baptized, they're old enough to make a faith commitment to Christ and that's what they want to do, then we baptize whole families together. Because some children, when they get to be seven, eight, nine years of age, they ask these tough spiritual questions because the Holy Spirit's speaking to their heart and they're ready. So how do you know if they're ready? Well, next weekend, if you have kids that you think might be ready to receive Christ or they've received Christ and they haven't been baptized, well then bring them out to our children's pastors. They're good at this and they will talk to them and and just see if they're ready. If they're not quite ready, then that's okay. You know, they'll be baptized soon if, they're not, if they don't quite understand it. But so many do, and they want Christ to be in their life with that childlike faith. And so it is a public profession of your faith in Christ. That public profession is so important to let everyone know that you love Jesus because here's what Jesus said in Mark 8, 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels around him. Saying, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me on this earth and embarrassed of me on this earth, then I'll be ashamed of you in eternity. And so baptism is saying, Jesus, I'm not ashamed of you and I don't want you to be ashamed of me. I want everyone to know that I love you. Well then, how should I be baptized? Should I be sprinkled or dunked in the water or or a bucket of ice cold water thrown on me to really change me? What, What should I, should I be immersed, sprinkled? Well, the word baptizo in the scripture is where we get our word baptize and it literally means to be dunked underwater, to be immersed completely underwater. That's the meaning of the word. So how did sprinkling start? Well, it didn't for the first 1,300 years of Christianity. But in the Dark Ages, in those Middle Ages, some started sprinkling out of convenience. But then the big reason is because some church leaders twisted Scripture. They took the doctrine of original sin, which is true and taught in God's Word, that we're all born with this bent to wanting our own way. And, you know, sure, we choose our own way as we grow up, and we sin so many times, but... We're all bent toward that, but then they twisted the doctrine of original sin to original guilt, and they said if a baby dies before they can be baptized, then they'll go to hell, so we better baptize them, and they started immersing babies because that's all they ever did, and some drowned, and they said this doesn't work, so we got to sprinkle, and that's how sprinkling really started. That's, that's just the fact. And I know in some churches today that sprinkle babies and sprinkle to baptize, say, well, you know, we don't really think it means that so much anymore. It's more of a dedication, but, but really that's what the theology says. So now most people at Woodland Church were baptized or sprinkled as babies. And I want you to know if you were, like most people, baptized or sprinkled as a baby, Your parents did something good for you. They were standing before God and the church saying, we're gonna do everything we can to raise our child to fall in love with Christ. It was a commitment they made. That's why we have baby dedications. We don't 
baptize babies, but we dedicate them. It's more for the parents than the baby. But some of you are sprinkled or baptized as a baby and your parents made a great commitment to you, but you didn't know what was going on. You just got your head wet, probably cried, hated the whole thing. But once you grow up and you make your faith commitment to Christ, then you're to be baptized. That's your baptism, biblically. That's biblical baptism to show that you love Jesus. It's your public profession of faith, that you're not ashamed of him. You don't want him to be ashamed of you. And it's your baptism. And I would have to say that I have rebaptized thousands of people at Woodland Church who were sprinkled as babies. And I have never once had someone come out of the water and say to me, oh, that was awful. My first baptism as a baby was so meaningful. This wasn't. I've never heard that ever. But I have heard people come out of the water over and over and over and over again saying, wow, why was that so, feel so powerful? Why did that feel so meaningful? Obedience brings blessing. And you start walking in the blessings of God. It's healing. It's powerful. And so I just challenge you, if you were baptized or sprinkled as a baby, next weekend get biblically baptized, get rebaptized, and you will never regret it. That's what the Bible says. Really, it's you gotta humble yourself. And some of you would say, Well, I've been a believer for 30 years and I love Jesus and you know, I even teach the Bible and everything. If I get baptized next weekend, I was sprinkled as a baby, but I get rebaptized next weekend, then people are gonna think I'm a baby Christian. Well, who cares what people think? It's God, what he thinks. And he'll be so proud of you. You have to humble yourself to go into that water. Well, the most asked question about baptism is what do I wear? Well, you can wear a swimsuit and T-shirt, um, shorts and a T-shirt. And by the way, we have dark shorts and T-shirts of all different sizes. I promise you, we got everything. We have hair dryers. We've got all the stuff that you need to get mirrors in the dressing rooms, all the stuff you need to, uh, after your hair gets wet. You know, and, and next weekend, what you should do, all of you guys who are being baptized, what you do is you bring your change of clothes and have it with you. If you forget, you don't have your change of clothes, then we have it all in the dressing rooms and you get it when you go out. But then at the end of the service, I'll send you out to the dressing rooms. You'll go out there, our pastors will take you out there. You get changed into your baptism clothes, shorts and shirts, it's, you know, doesn't matter. We've had people jump in in suits to be with somebody and cheer them on. I mean, you know, it's gonna be a celebration. We're gonna celebrate, we're gonna eat cake, we're gonna just have so much fun like we always do. And you can invite friends and relatives or, or just come by yourself, doesn't matter. And then you, we line you up out there and you come into the water and we, we take you by the hand and, and we put your hands together. And we say, do you wanna hold your nose? A lot of people wanna hold their nose. Just say yes. And then when it's time to baptize, we'll raise your hands up and you pinch your nose and then into the water and up. Or if you don't wanna hold your nose, we just raise your hands here and baptize you into the water and up. It's so simple. I've only lost four people in 30 years. I mean, your percentages are pretty good, really. You have a much bigger percentage of being struck by lightning. Of course, you could be while you're being baptized. But anyway, that's another story. But here's the thing. It's so simple. And it shows that Christ died, was buried, he's alive in your life, and you're gonna do the God thing God's way, and you're gonna experience God's blessings because you wanna taste the sweet blessings of God. And, and I have 
a commitment card up here and all you guys were given one when you walked in and here's what we want you to do is, is fill this out. All you're being baptized next weekend, some of you are going, I don't know. Go for it, go for it. This is your, well, next weekend, I don't know if we're gonna be here next weekend. Make sure you are. Don't miss it. Maybe feel a little awkward, inconvenient. You do it and you'll be blessed because God commands it. Can't do the God thing your way. Gotta be God's way. And so, at Woodland Church, we just wanna stay as close to scripture as we can. We wanna follow God when God is so clear. And so, fill it out, what service you're coming to, and turn this in an offering basket in just a moment. We'll be prepared for you. Um, make that commitment. I want you to watch Jonathan Garza's story. As he and his wife, their lives have been changed by Jesus Christ at Woodland Church. And it's an amazing, powerful story. And really, it's the story of all of us who've come to Christ because we all need him so much. Just watch. You know, I went to culinary school at 18, left home, bright, young, bushy-eyed kid, and I chased that dream uh, with every ounce of me. I, I chased it. In the restaurant industry, it, there's a lot of uh, drugs, alcohol, and that's kind of where the habits started. I wanted to fit in. I was a young kid. But like if I didn't conform to them, then maybe I'd lose my chance at becoming a good cook. I'd show up to work smelling like a bar, um, raggedy clothes from the night before, regret on my face. And one day, the guy in the mirror wasn't somebody that I was okay with. Like I'd look back and it was a stranger. I said, hey, I'm gonna check myself in. We found a rehab facility over there. It was the scariest moment of my life. You know, you're fearful. You're fearful of the future. You don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know if you're gonna make it. Getting out of rehab was tough. It was, it was hard. I, I couldn't think of anything but, you know, maybe the occasional drink, um, just a lot of anxiety, a lot of sadness. Just, it overtakes you. At that point, I was probably six months, six, seven months clean. And I lost my grandpa. That man cared for me more than life itself, right? It was one of the worst times. Um, so after he died, it was kind of like, if I wanted to drink, I could drink. Nobody said it, it wasn't there, but I, I didn't drink. And I always tell people there was like a curse that was on our family, you know? And I feel like that's when the curse was lifted up. Yeah, addiction's beatable. Uh, you just have to take the right steps and there's help. You know, I, I didn't think there was help, but there's help. When I met my now wife, uh, her rules were very clear. She's like, hey, I'm not dating to waste time, and if you want to be with me, you got to go to church. It's like, man, with, the, with everything inside of me, I wanted to fight back with her whenever it, it came time to the whole church conversation. I couldn't believe in a God that allowed everything to happen. Um, from my grandpa to me losing out on this dream that I was chasing for seven years. I couldn't believe in a God. What God would do, what happened to me, right? What God would allow that. But I liked her a little bit more than what I was, you know, facing in my own self. So to go from somebody that couldn't believe in God or to somebody that was scared of church, to go into this welcoming, warm environment, right, where people are singing, dancing, they're happy. There was something there, you know, and that's what kind of started propelling me to, uh, believe a little bit more. I always tell people that Woodland Church is a weird church in a good way because it feels like they have like a spy in your house. 
where they hear about your problems and and then Pastor Carrie's talking about it. And I think it was the Christmas service of 21 where Carrie Shook said, hey, you know, this is gonna be your year. Plant your stake in the ground. I, I mean, I guess, right? I, I know I needed a relationship with God. And then that service kind of solidified where we are now with uh, the church and with Christ. So one day, me and my wife were driving to, the, to church. I said, hey, you know, next time they do the super summer baptism, I wanna do it. I said, I'm gonna do this because it's right, because my heart needs it, because I've accepted him for however long up until that point, so let me make it real, let me put it on paper right. Going into the water was the longest and the shortest second of your life. I think I made the joke that it felt like the water, the tension would let me back out because of all the sin I had committed in my past life, but it did, and once you get out, it's a crazy feeling, you know, kind of like, like to your wife, like what it feels like when you see her walking down the aisle, it felt like that, like you just had a loss for words. This is the same thing, it was beautiful. Anytime that somebody asks me or, or somebody that hasn't seen me in a while says, hey man, what's, you know, something's different about you, what's up? Oh man, I go to church now, I, I do this, I don't drink, I follow Christ. Life now is a lot different uh, because it's a beautiful thing, right? To take a kid that had no meaning in life to now to be here, right? It's beautiful. If that doesn't get you excited, then nothing will. I mean, I... Every time I see someone being baptized, it moves me because it just reminds me that Christ died, was buried, rose again, so we could come back to life and really experience his blessings. And so I just challenge you, next weekend is your weekend. You start doing the Christian life God's way and you come alive. Being halfway in between, that's the most miserable place to be. But when you take that step across the door, when you taste and see, you won't believe the blessings that God has for you. Well, let's wrap up 2 Kings 5. In verse 14, it says, so he, Naaman, went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. And then the scripture says he went back to the prophet of God, to the prophet of God's house, and he said, there is no God other than the one true God in Israel. And I wanna say that today there is no God other than the one true God whose son is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I want you to know as long as I'm your pastor, I will always preach to you the truth of God's word because God's word will change your life. It's the only thing you can build a life on. It's the only thing you can build a relationship on. It's the only thing you can build a family on. It's the only thing you can build anything on that's going to last the test of time. But if someone hears me speak the truth and says, who does that guy think he is to tell me what to do? To tell me I need to be baptized. I mean, I love Jesus. I've been a Christian a long time. Maybe you feel like Naaman right now and you feel like you're kind of ticked because who does that pastor think he is to tell me what I need to do? And I just want you to know my heart is that you wouldn't be upset. My heart is that you would see God's word. And I'm just telling you the truth because it's from God's word. And I'll always tell you the truth because I love you, I care about you, and I want to please God. Jesus Christ is the only one that can change us. And when he asks us to do something, when we obey, we experience his love. 
as long as we taste and see, we'll experience the sweet goodness and the great blessings of God. So let's pray right now. If you've never received Christ, just do it right now. Make a faith commitment to him by praying this prayer silently to God. Dear Jesus Christ, I need you. I wanna follow your way. So I give up to your free gift of forgiveness and ask you to cleanse me of my disease of sin and selfishness. I ask you to come into my life with your Holy Spirit and and change me from the inside out and I ask you, Lord, to take me to heaven one day. I receive your salvation. Be the Lord of my life. Lord, I really wanna follow you from now on as best I know how. And Lord, I also pray for everyone that you've really spoken to about being baptized. And I know maybe there's some fear, some like uh, inconvenience, but Lord, just help them take that step, that step into the humble river of your blessing. And Lord, I, I just pray they would sign up today, get it settled today, so that they can take that next step And I know you're gonna bless them beyond measure. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I hope you'll take that card. If you haven't filled it out, fill it out. Place it in the offering basket in just a moment or take it out to one of our pastors and let them have it and we can be prepared for your baptism next weekend. Bring friends or just come by yourself, it's okay. Well, now we're at the point of our service where we give back to God and we give for two reasons because we love God and we love the ministries and missions that God is using through Woodland Church. But the number one reason is because we love God. Why? Because he commands us to give the first portion of our income, that first 10% of our income, so he can bless the rest because you can't outgive God. He says, taste and see. Give, and I'll give back to you more than you could ever give. And so it's a command of God, and God says, don't skip this one. This one's really important. So the number one reason we give is because we love God. Yeah, we love the ministries, we love the missions, and we love all the things that God is doing. And this summer, we all go on vacations at times, but our ministries don't go on vacation. They get ramped up with all of these uh, camps and all of the ministries and missions we're doing in the summer. And so I really encourage you to set up recurrent giving so your giving doesn't go on vacation. Sure, the church needs it, but most importantly, you need it because you love God and you wanna see his blessings in your life. And so. The way you give at Woodland Church is wc.org slash give, and you can set up recurrent giving on our secure giving site, wc.org slash give, or you can take out your smartphone and text the word GIVEWC, it's one word, GIVEWC, to 77977, and it'll take you to the same site, that secure giving site. You can mail in your gift, you can give stocks, um, you can give assets, and you can give right here in the offering right now, and so our ushers are gonna take the offering right now as we give a couple of announcements next week in the big super summer baptism. Hey, and by the way, um, we have over a 1,000 students and, and counselors and staff at our beach week right now in Panama City, Florida, and so they're there right now at student camp, and we have these little wristbands on your way out. We want you to pick up a wristband, put it on. It's the name of a student at camp, and we want you to pray for them every day. Because I'm telling you, this camp can change eternal destinies. It it can, so many are gonna come to Christ and be in heaven forever, but then also so many of them that love Christ are gonna make commitments to 
to the Lord to follow him and whatever he has for them because this generation is gonna change the world. And so, and when you put one of these on and you pray for them every day, maybe at your workplace or in your neighborhood, someone will go, what's that? And you can tell them about the camps at Woodland Church and the life change at Woodland Church and it'll just speak to them. They'll be curious about it if they don't know Christ. It's a great way to share Christ in a very humble way, in a very loving and winsome way. And so I encourage you to grab one of these on your way out. We've got all kinds of camps coming up, and it's going to be crazy at Woodland Church this summer. All kinds of preschool activities, children's activities, student activities, life groups, Bible studies, all kinds of stuff for you to be connected in at Woodland Church this year. Hey, and by the way, that song, Never Too Late, that Woodland's Worship just did before the message, that just released another Woodland's Worship song. You can get it on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere there's music you can... um, Download that, and it's amazing how God's using Woodlands Worship to uh, make a difference in churches all over the country and the world, and just keeps going out with God's grace and power. So I hope you really will get that and tell your friends about it. It's one of my favorite Woodlands Worship songs. And let's stand, and let's just thank him that he's brought us back to life. He loves you. He wants you to taste his sweet blessings. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.